everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Don't you love an extra $100 in your pocket? Have a TurboTax expert file your taxes for you by March 31st to get $100 back instantly. Because no matter what moves you made last year, TurboTax makes them count. That means getting $100 back and 100% accurate taxes only from Intuit TurboTax. Must file by 331. Credit only applicable to federal filing fees with TurboTax full service. Offer can be modified or terminated at any time. Maggie and I mentioned to you, Sleuth Hounds, last week that we have some friends who are other true crime podcasters. I shared with you one that is so unique that it's worth a listen. And I wanted to share it with you again this week. His name is Andrew Dodge, and his podcast is called Unforbidden Truth. Andrew visits and interviews convicted murderers and other criminals, as well as professionals in criminal justice and psychology. And the results are often eye-opening. Here's a little about the show from Andrew himself. My name is Andrew Dodge. I have spent the last 11 years getting to know some of America's most notorious criminals, such as serial killers, spree killers, mass murderers, domestic and foreign terrorists, and many more types of criminals. Unforbidden Truth will bring you exclusive interviews with convicted criminals, professionals in the mental health and law enforcement field, and much more. Subscribe to Unforbidden Truth on any podcast platform to join me on a -a one-of-a-kind true crime experience. My daughter had been begging me for no less than a week. Every single day from the time I picked her up from daycare until the moment she went to bed, she pleaded for us to go get frozen yogurt. Fresh off of a move back to Kentucky and beginning a new job, I was exhausted and I just kept putting it off. Then, on the night of September 4th, 2013, my daughter didn't ask about frozen yogurt. And at dinner, I finally suggested that after we clean up our plates, we go get orange leaf frozen yogurt. We walked into the parlor and she was ecstatic, but her face fell when I told her that we were going to get the dessert and go back home to eat it. Apparently to her, the experience of eating it in the shop was nearly as important as the dessert itself. So again, I agreed to sit and eat it there. It was that night that I first met Rodney, the man who's now my husband, when he and the rest of Ladder 7 came into that same frozen yogurt shop. Had we gone another night, Rodney and I would have never met. Had we taken the dessert home like I wanted, Rodney and I would have never met. Little decisions that don't seem to matter much at the time can, in fact, change our world. Sadly, for others, those seemingly tiny decisions can have devastating consequences as well, as in the case this week. When a stepmom 
asked if her stepson could stay just a little while longer for his visitation so that he could have lunch with his dad. That request changed the lives of so many people. This is the story of China and Blake Dickus. Welcome to Coffee and Cases, where we like our coffee hot and our cases cold. My name is Allison Williams. And my name is Maggie Dameron. We will be telling stories each week in the hopes that someone out there with any information concerning the case will take those tips to law enforcement so justice and closure can be brought to these families. With each case, we encourage you to continue in the conversation on our Facebook page, Coffee and Cases Podcast and to follow us on Instagram at Coffee Cases Podcast and on TikTok at Coffee and Cases Podcast. Because as these families know, conversation helps to keep their missing family member in the public consciousness, helping to keep their memories alive. So sit back, sip your coffee, and listen to what's brewing this week. Okay, but Allison, your little intro though, I feel like I did not know that story. Did I know that story? I don't know. Did you not know it? I don't think I did. Yep. Little, yep. Your little sleuth hound is responsible for you and Rodney living happily ever after. I know. We always tell her. We're like, you're the reason that we met. So yep. were you at Orange Leaf and Rodney was just like, hey, you're looking fine. Here's my number. <laughs> he, well... So he and the Ladder 7 crew walked in, and my back was facing the door. Like, I was facing where the frozen yogurt, like, you pulled the handles. Uh And they walked over there, and apparently, because he likes brunettes. Hmm. So apparently, when he walked in, his buddy Chris was like, there you go, Rodney, because they could see the back of my head, and they could see my brown hair. Uh And so as he walked by, he turned around. And looked, and he smiled, and I saw his dimples, and then it was And then you were like, I'm in love. It was all over, yeah. (laughs) So then he was, like, getting his frozen yogurt, and he turned around again, and he smiled, and I smiled back. And then after he, like, paid for his frozen yogurt, he came over, and he was talking. I know. He was talking, you know. He was like, oh, I remember when my kids were that age, and, you know, we were talking about that. And then... He asked um, my little sleuth hound if she would like to go out and see the fire truck. And, of course, you know, she did. And I wanted to talk to him also. So I was like, yeah, let's go out there. Yeah, you want to go see the fire truck? Let's go. Yeah. And then he asked me out for coffee, which is totally fitting. So our first, like, real date was Starbucks. I love that. And no, I do not know that story. Yeah. I love Rodney even more now. That's so sweet. Yep. So that's what, like, little decisions can completely change everything. Well, I'm anxious now to hear this episode. Okay. 
Well, this one, the decisions are catastrophic. Oh. Which is sad. I know. But before we get into the sadness, Maggie, we are almost there. That's true. This is episode 97, right? This is episode 97, which means we have almost made it to our 100th episode. And I feel like we need to do something special for it. Me too. So, Sleuth Hounds, we have decided to release our 100th episode as a bonus episode on Saturday, October 2nd. Also, right before my birthday, so... Yes, I know. I won't share what your birthday is because then maybe people know passwords, but (laughs) I know when your birthday is. And it is right after that. It is right, yeah. So instead of covering any new case in that episode, we're still going to give you the weekly episode on Thursday like normal. But for our bonus episode, we're going to give you updates on several of the cases that we've covered since the show has started. So that means we have some cases for which new suspects have emerged since we've covered the cases, ones where new theories have been proposed, ones where we have spoken with family and maybe gotten additional information that we think could be helpful in getting their cases solved. So we want to get that guy, that information out to you guys. Yes. And so that is our plan. And also... If you would like a shout out on the show, then go to our Facebook page. There is a post up right now. So go ahead and pause the show. Go write us something. Sign it with whatever name you want us to read because we don't know if you want us to say your whole names. And you just might hear your message to us read on our 100th episode. I love that. Mm Mm-hmm. So we want you to be a part of the celebration too. So you you know that Maggie and I are teachers. So we are giving you an assignment. You have homework. You do. Number one, get caught up on your episodes or go ahead and go back and listen to the early ones that maybe you've forgotten the details because we're going all the way back to the beginning giving updates. And number two send us that message on our Facebook page. We are excited to celebrate this milestone with you guys. Yes. Okay, now let's get into this week's episode. Let's do it. I think, Maggie, we've probably all seen countless movies and television shows or heard countless stories of the horrors of the bad relationships between moms and stepmoms and dads and stepdads. I mean, yeah, Cinderella, hello. (laughs) Right. Like, let's go all the way back to, like, Hans Christian Andersen. Is that Hans Christian Andersen? Hans Christian Andersen. I don't know. I feel like probably people that are not from Kentucky say Hans Christian Andersen. But I feel like Kentuckians probably say Hans. Hans Christian Andersen. Yeah. That's right. (laughs) So, yeah, we're used to hearing these stories. I mean, every Lifetime movie. Yeah. Hello. You know, so there's always this assumption like, oh, well, 
this one's going to try to manipulate or this one's mm-hmm. going to try to overstep boundaries and on and on these accusations fly. But the family in the center of our case this week seem to have a much better and mature understanding of what is best for the child. And it seems they got along pretty well. Like even mom Christina, yes, and stepmom China Dickus. And maybe that's because China, the stepmom, also loved Blake so much. And Blake was the child that her husband shared with his ex-wife Christina. Okay, so they really did have like the kid's best interest in heart. It seems like it from everything that I read. Okay. So to clarify relationship, Christina and Sean, you haven't, I haven't mentioned his name yet, but Christina and Sean were married. They had a son named Blake. Okay. They are now divorced. Sean has married China. Gotcha. Okay. So Sean, I just said Sean. <laughs> Combine so, their name. <laughs> so yeah, it's like, um, what was it? Brangelina and like... Yeah. Yeah. All, all those uh what Shiny. was it what, Shiny yeah. on big on the big yeah. bang so well this is china no sean and china had been married for about three years and were according to some sources even beginning to talk about having a child themselves i love babies yes love babies They were both in school. They were taking night classes at a college that was in the area, and both of them were very involved in their church. So they had a lot in common. Yeah. And in fact, they had just recently returned from a mission trip to El Salvador. That is a goal of mine. When COVID is no longer such a big thing, and I'm hoping that sooner rather than later but that's my next big goal i want to go on a mission trip Mm -hmm. i think that would be really cool so they had just gotten back and in june of 2006 about a month before this week's case took place sean and china had moved into their new home at 1188 aberdeen drive in franklin indiana which is a small town it's about 20 minutes away from Indianapolis. Okay. And the house, it had just been built. And the subdivision that they were in was a new one. So there was continuous construction of houses in the area. A new school was going in close by. So that's loud. (laughs) Oh, yeah, it is loud. But there's also, it's like there's this... I don't know, sense of possibility or something, Mm -hmm. you know, and a couple of the lots that were around the Dickus family home were empty, like on either side, I read and across the street. And so that kind of held the possibility that, you know, maybe another young family might move in. And this new subdivision was a lot of young families. So like exactly the place where you might want to start your own family. Mm -hmm. So everything was looking hopeful, and China was so excited to jump in and start decorating this new house. I feel that. Like, I'm ready to put my Christmas tree up. It's the middle of September, (laughs) and, like, I need some Christmas joy in my life. Oh, now I can do the Christmas carols. There are people who dislike that. Listen, 
Christmas music brings joy. Yeah. Same. And like, so Anthony's like, we can't listen to Christmas music until it's December. Okay. Oh first no. of all, Mm-mm. we celebrate fall, September, then October, and then November. And you only get to celebrate Christmas for a month. I'm a, yeah. sorry, sir. No. Yes. Ball humbug to him. Yes. Yeah. I'm listening to christmas music november 1st yeah my, tr- my tree will be up november 1st on my radio yep yep so with this decorating maggie you are very good at decorating i do not have a knack for it i love it i can appreciate when something is decorated well like i can look at something and be like that is beautiful that is gorgeous look how well that's decorated but to do it myself nope See, I think Not the house was decorated well. Well, it's a fluke. <laughs> but Rodney's ex-wife, she is the best I have ever seen. Like, she can take things from the dollar store and things she finds on clearance and make it look like it should be on the cover of a magazine. Hey, well, that must have come in handy for all the weddings you all just had this. Like, oh, I know. Past, like, yeah. Years. And yeah, baby showers and all of that stuff. She's yeah. like amazing. I just sit back and like, I'm like, what can I do to help? (laughs) Like, you just tell me what to do. I'll hand you the glue and the tape. That's right. So because of China's excitement, Sean, her husband, had given her the nickname Betty Homemaker. That's cute. That is cute. But more important than the home was the time that they spent with Sean's son, Blake. Blake was 10 years old. And like most kids his age, he loved to play video games and to watch cartoons. And listen, I'm there for that, and I'm an adult. Yeah, Like, I will totally watch cartoons with you. Turn Rugrats on. Let's go. Yeah. (laughs) He was just, like, all around a fun-loving, good kid. There isn't a single picture where he didn't have the biggest smile plastered on his face. But July 24th, 2006, everything changed. Oh, no. So Blake had just spent some time with his dad, Sean, and his stepmom, China. They had hung out. They had laughed. They had even gone to the Johnson County Fair. And I love the county fairs, mostly because I love junk food. So yeah, like the funnel I'm here cakes. for the funnel cake. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep. Like, that's my weakness. Funnel cake and a lemonade. Yes, please. Oh, yeah. Corn dogs, like all that stuff. So they had gone to the county fair, but the weekend was over and it was Monday. So it was time for the visitation to come to an end. And to celebrate having her son back home, Blake's mom, Christina, had plans for a movie night later that evening after she got off work. So she had even that Monday, July 24th, called china so she could talk to blake about it on the phone and kind of tell him like what she had planned for that night with the movie night and he was so excited maggie not just for the movie but also for the candy that usually came along with the movie i feel that too i do too like if it involves eating i'm there i understand yeah Yeah. (laughs) So until then, until Christina got off work, though, to take him on this like nighttime movie date, China was supposed to bring Blake to his grandmother's house, to Christina's mom's. Okay. So when China called 
to ask if Blake could stay just a little bit longer so that he could have lunch with his dad before she drove him to Christina's mom's house, it seemed like a no-brainer. Because remember, Christina and China, they get along well. Yeah, and Christina's at work, right? Yeah, right. Yeah, she's at work anyway. So, like, all parties involved just agreed to adjust the plan. Like, no biggie. Sean gets to come home from work. Now he can have lunch with Blake before Blake comes over to Christina's mom's house. Mm -hmm. So Sean got home around 1245 that afternoon to have lunch with China and Blake, and he left around 145 p.m. And Maggie, I just have to pause because doesn't that just sound glorious? Yeah, it does. Yes, to get to come home for lunch and have an hour to eat. We get like, if, if you're not a teacher or married to one, y'all just don't even know. My nope. lunch starts at 1150. I have to take my kids to the cafeteria, wait for all of them to get their food. And because it's COVID, now they have to eat in the auditorium so we don't have as many kids in the cafeteria. So I have to walk them back up to the auditorium. By the time that happens, 10 of my 20 minutes lunch is already gone. So then yep. I'm eating while making copies or eating while I'm sending emails to parents. And then mm-hmm. I'm um, peeing in like the minute before I have to pick the kids up from the auditorium. Yep. Yep. Like best case scenario, we get 20 minutes to eat. Yeah. Which is still not enough time. Oh, no. So like even if I lived close, even if you only lived five minutes away, which to be honest is how long it would take if you like walked to your car and drove Mm -hmm. for two minutes and then walked inside. Right. Then by the time you took five minutes to get there and then five minutes back, you get 12 minutes to eat. Yep. (laughs) So an hour sounds glorious. And so does getting to eat around noon. Yeah. At a normal lunchtime. Yeah. Because that's the other thing with teachers. We eat at like 1045. 1045. Yeah. That's our lunchtime. But I will set my jealousy of Sean to the side concerning his lunchtime luxuries. Blake's excitement, though, over going to the movies with his mom was even part of the conversation over lunch because Sean later reported that that was all Blake talked about nonstop at lunch that day was how excited he was to go see this movie with his mom and get that candy. Well, I'm glad that I feel like Blake has just like such a they're doing such a good job with him. Lunch with oh, I agree. Movie with mom. Like, it's just Mm -hmm. a good life. Yeah, and he feels comfortable, like, sharing Mm -hmm. his excitement of going to the movies with his mom, Mm -hmm. you know, with them. Sean later reported that he, quote, can remember rubbing the back of Blake's head and giving him a kiss and, you know, goodbye. I left the garage and I pulled out and China was at the mailbox and I gave her, you know, a kiss. I said goodbye to her and that's... That's the last thing I remember, end quote. And that was so, around 145. So I feel like things are not going to pan out the way that I originally thought they were going to pan out in this case. No. Okay. It wasn't until a little after 5 p.m. that anyone knew the tragedy that had occurred sometime in those three hours in between. So in between 1.45 p.m. and 5 p.m. 
Sean got home from work around 5.15 p.m. And minutes after he made his way into his home, likely expecting a relaxing, quiet evening home with China, Mm -hmm. he emerged from his home again, this time frantic. Oh, no. Sean fell to his knees right in the driveway and vomited. (gasps) No one should have to see what he had seen. He screamed at the top of his lungs, My wife and son are dead. He then immediately called 911. Yeah, this is definitely not what I thought was going to happen in this case. Yeah. Meanwhile, Christina showed up at her mom's house to pick up Blake for their movie night, right, that they had planned all day, only to be told that China had never brought him over in the first place. Which is out of character. Right. So initially, obviously, she had no idea what had happened on Aberdeen Drive, and she actually admitted in one report that she found herself feeling a little bit annoyed, right? Oh, because yeah. like here she had agreed to giving more time so Blake could have lunch with Sean and China, and now Blake isn't where he's supposed to be, and they have plans. But China also wasn't answering when both Christina and Christina's mother tried to reach her. So Christina drove over to her ex-husband Sean's house. Oh, no. Christina immediately knew something horrible had happened when she turned on the street to see all the flashing lights and crime scene tape. And remember, there wouldn't have been any confusion as to which house these flashing lights were for. Oh, yeah, because because everything else was empty around their house. Yep, the lots are all empty. So it's not like there's even, like, this glimmer of hope that, like... It's the neighbor. Well, not that, that's not that it's hopeful, yeah, that right. it happened to somebody else, but you get what I'm saying. Like, yeah. you, there's no sense of relief for you. When the police arrived, Maggie, here's what they found with both the crime scene and the bodies. Sean stated that when he got home from work, the door leading from the garage into the kitchen was open, but he didn't think anything of it because that was something that China sometimes did. And Mm -hmm. I totally get that because like sometimes if Rodney knows I'm close to home, he'll go ahead and open the garage door. So it's like one less thing I have to do to pull in, especially if he knows I have groceries and things. Yeah. So, like, I totally get this sometimes leaving the door open. Plus, it's inside the garage. Right. So, it's not, like, to the outside. Exactly. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. While police have not given details about the perpetrator's point of entry, and what I'm about to say is pure speculation, I do feel like that open door makes the most sense for the killer to enter the home. Because I I obviously told you, you know, Sean ran out and said, my wife and son are dead. Mm -hmm. So you know what has happened. Mm -hmm. That makes the most sense to me for the killer to enter the home because we do know 
that there was no sign of forced entry. So, but this door, though, is like she would have to raise her garage door and then it would be the door from her garage into her home. I mean, true. But like, I mean, when I close, I usually close our garage door as I'm walking out. Like, you just have to step over where the sensor is. Mm -hmm. So, if the door was opened, the perpetrator could have literally, like, left that way and closed the door on the way out. Yeah, but how did he, did he come in that way too, though? Well, I don't know, but I do know that there's no sign of forced entry. So, like, no windows were broken, no doors were knocked in. So, logically, the perpetrator or perpetrators either came in through an unlocked or open window or door, or Mm -hmm. China or Blake willingly opened the door for them. I mean... And I feel like we do that a lot in subdivisions, like, without kind of thinking about it. Like, I don't know in your subdivision, but when we lived at our previous house, like, it was some weekends, like, every couple hours. Hey, we noticed you have some weeds in your front yard. Would you like Weed Be Gone LLC to spray the for the weeds in your front yeah, yard? we get so we're that, selling, too. We're selling meat. Would you like to buy some meat? Yeah, And you just open the door without thinking about it. Well, now I will say, if Rodney isn't home, I hide. Oh, yeah, I don't open the door. Yeah. (laughs) But if Rodney's home, I open it. Yeah. But you're right. Like, how many times do people open the door, you know, Mm -hmm. to any kind of stranger? Yep. And potentially, with what I will tell you later... If the one of the theories is true about the potential perpetrator, then it might make sense why China could have opened the door. Oh. But I'll get to that in a minute. Okay. So while only one source I read, which was Wave 3 News, in an article from July 25th, 2006, mentioned that both 26-year-old China and 10-year-old Blake's bodies were on the second floor of the home. Nearly every source mentioned that their bodies were close to one another on the floor and that there was blood found throughout the home. I hate that. China had been stabbed multiple times, but Blake, it seems, bore the brunt of the perpetrator's aggression. Ten-year-old Blake? Ten-year-old Blake. Since he was stabbed, like China, but also suffered from blunt force trauma to the head and asphyxia. Mm. So, like, smothered. Mm. The most harmful injuries came from the blows to Blake's head. Like, I can't even imagine that. I can't either. Like, Anthony and I don't do this, Allison, by the way watched fear street which is a like movie series on netflix based off an rl stein book so i was like hey it's gonna be like goosebumps um no it isn't it's scary and traumatizing and gave me nightmares in which (laughs) i sat up in bed and screamed and i have never done that before like that type (gasps) of nightmare yes um but like the killer in there like one killer mm-hmm. like uses an axe and then another killer like literally cuts people and i'm like if i can choose between you cutting me 
were you just hitting me in the head with an axe? Like, I think I'd pick the axe. Like, at least that's Get faster. Get it over quick. Yeah. Ugh. Gosh. Ooh. I know. And especially, gosh, with children, I showed Rodney the picture of Blake. And he mm-hmm. was like, somebody hurt that kid? Right. I was like, His yeah. little smile. Oh, my gosh, you guys. Wait till you see these pictures. Oh, my goodness. So everyone's first thought was to suspect the person who found China and Blake also the last person we know who saw them alive before their deaths, Sean Dickus. Right? Because he came mm-hmm. home for lunch. Right. And they're both and there. Then, yep. And then he said he left. And then he came back and they're dead. And that could also explain why there's no fourth century in the house because he would have a key. Right. So, because of that reason you said, Maggie, just then, a lot of people judged. And I I don't know what we expect someone to act like, you know, who has just come up on a scene like Sean did. But I feel like however they act is always opposite of how we think they should react. Like, no matter what the reaction is, we're like, they didn't react correctly. Oh, I know. Yeah. And like, seriously, What could prepare you for an event like that one? Yeah. And I'm sure he's not saying in his mind, okay, let's make sure that I react correctly to this scenario. So I need to do this. Right. And I did read that Sean had been in the military. So I Mm. feel like we could likely guess that he might be a little bit more stoic than the next person, like less likely to show extremes of emotion. Mm -hmm. And as a result, there were people who said behind closed doors that they didn't think he mourned enough, that he wasn't emotional enough for them. Like the list goes on. And some even used the word detached to describe him. Okay, but but like, again, people grieve differently. And I feel like if you are quote unquote detached, that may just be the only way you can handle life at that moment is oh, yeah. to be detached from whatever is going on. Yeah, to just like numb yourself. Yes. Mm-hmm. But that reaction combined with the fact that the violence committed against China and Blake seemed so personal, like with the stabbing, mm-hmm. with the asphyxia, and that Sean brought up financial troubles that they'd been having and he brought it up fairly quickly and here's the kicker and this is the only thing I don't understand but that's just again me that he continued to live in the home even after the murders and so some in the area had their suspicions yeah that's not just you that's weird to me too yeah but I I mean again people process differently so yeah and, I mean, if, if it's true that they're having financial troubles, maybe he just can't afford. Yeah, maybe his credit score is trash. Yeah. So all you people hacking all these useless websites, how about you do something useful with your time and give me an 800 credit score? And pay off my student loans. Yeah, and pay off my student loans. Thank you. Yes. <laughs> um, but after extensive questioning, Maggie, and polygraphs, and I know we talk about polygraphs a lot, but I'm talking about polygraphs that were conducted not by local law enforcement, but by the FBI. Oh. 
And I feel like those would be a lot more, I don't know, I trust them a lot more. Yeah, me too. Less, I so, feel like FBI is less likely to be corrupt, like local law enforcement. Yeah. And I don't mean that negatively, but you right, know what I mean. Right, right. So after extensive questioning and polygraphs by the FBI, law enforcement cleared Sean Dickus. Okay. And he has never been a person of interest in the case. Like, eyes turned toward him at the beginning, but that's pretty much it. Okay. In fact, John Borges of the Franklin County Police told True Crime Diary, quote, he's been nothing but helpful since day one. I really feel like we've done our due diligence on this case, and we have no reason to believe he's anything but a tragic figure here, end quote. But there are a couple of theories. Okay. And I will go ahead and tell you, like, not many of these theories are like, fleshed out the way some of our cases are yeah i feel like this case i've ne well first off i've never heard of this case so i'm assuming there's not a whole lot of articles and stuff done right. on this case right so the theories are again very vague the first one the first theory is a construction worker okay so i mentioned earlier this was a newer subdivision and one thing common over the last several months had been new homes going in. So construction was ongoing. Many people theorize if the person responsible for China and Blake's deaths were one of those workers. In the home, law enforcement found a two by four that was bloody at one end. Oh, so that may and have been used. Mm-hmm. As to cause the blunt force trauma to Blake's head. Police have not stated whether that two by four was from the home or brought to the home. And I'm wondering if this is like a subdivision that's like, like a ball home subdivision. So it's like the same company is building all of these homes or if it's like what my subdivision or your subdivision would be like people buy the land and pay their own contractors. You know, that's a good question. And I am not sure. Cause I feel like that could make a difference in something like that. Cause if it's like a two by four, then they may have been bought in bulk for like that whole subdivision or right. it, could, it could be something different. Right. And you know, if, if people had been there multiple times to build houses, then they're more familiar with the neighborhood and yeah, all who's that. living there and all that stuff. Right. But obviously it was that weapon of a two by four that has lent credibility for those who believe this theory. So if it were brought to the Dickus home, then many people are like, well, why would you bring that weapon? And not like a more traditional weapon, unless yeah. it were handy. However, other than that weapon and the proximity of the construction areas, no other clues seem to link one of the workers to the crime. Hmm. The second theory is a burglar. In the weeks leading up to this double homicide, the neighborhood had been plagued with another crime, Maggie. There had been no fewer than five break-ins wow. in the neighborhood 
between the summer of 2006 and 2007, including one that happened on the same street on the same day as the murders. I do feel like, though, that like new construction neighborhoods, I feel like that may be like a thing because like when they're under construction, it's a lot easier to go in and steal things than it is once they're finished. That's well, true. Were these like were these homes that were people were already living in? Or yeah, these were. were like, yeah, the break-ins were homes where people already were. Oh, so not like a half-built house, and they're stealing like right. light fixtures. Okay. No, and you just wait until you hear what they stole. Oh, okay. So all of the break-ins, all of them in the neighborhood, were within a half mile of the Dickus home. So they're all like right in that area. In each one of those burglaries, the perpetrator had left a signature sign. The screen on the windows had been cut in a T shape. Like that's how they got in. So like one slash across the window near the top and one down the middle. Oh. And similar to the Lucinda Strange case, Maggie. The perpetrator ransacked the home, usually including the fridge, but only took items of little to no value. So basically, they're just, it's almost like they want to prove they can break into this house. Yeah. Which is creepy. Yes. Like, we talked about that. That is, I don't know, that freaks me out more than somebody breaking in and taking valuables if, like, you, I think you said with Lucinda's case, if somebody broke in and they stole, like, a sweatshirt out of your closet. Like, right. it's more invasive and personal. Yeah. This burglar took things like bicentennial coins, class rings, and in one home, a Tupperware pitcher full of lemonade. What? Yes. That is what was stolen. The lemonade thing is bizarre. I agree. We'll get into a theory here in a minute. But what's more, Maggie, you might be wondering, obviously, like the connection between the burglaries and the murders because Mm -hmm. of the time. Because normally we think of burglaries as happening at night, you know, and we know Mm -hmm. that the murder of China and Blake happened sometime in the day between 145 and like 515. Right. But each one of those burglaries in the area took place in broad daylight Monday through Friday. Like, never on the weekends. Like, never at night. Was it because they thought that maybe, like, the people were at work? That's, I think so. Like, that's the only explanation that makes logical sense to me. Which is actually way smarter than robbing somebody at night when they're home. Right, because then if they're at work, nobody's there to stop you. Yeah, yeah. But to play devil's advocate, remember, there's no sign of forced entry. Oh, yeah, so there's no cuts on the screens. Yeah, so like the signature of this burglar at the homes wasn't at the Dickus home. But while there have been no more details released to the public that connect the burglaries to the murders... 
investigators seem convinced that there is a link between the two. So much so that in nearly every report about this case, Maggie, law enforcement has made a statement to the effect of something like, if we solve these burglaries, we will also likely solve these murders. Hmm. Because Maggie, they never caught the person who was robbing these homes either. Have they said anything about like, I feel like if there's blood everywhere in the house, like there were no like strange fingerprints, shoe prints. So in this case, and I I'm not sure why, but law enforcement has been so tight-lipped about what evidence they found. Hmm. So I feel like multiple things. Number one, their continued focus on the burglaries tells me that there has to be something that creates that link in their mind. Yeah. Yeah. Because normally, like, robbery and murder are two very different crimes with two very different perpetrator types. Yes. And second, law enforcement, they have noted, even though they've kept it all secret, like, what they have, that they they have noted that they have in their possession, quote, a mountain of evidence at the crime hmm. scene. So, like, a small part of me is wondering if, like, maybe they found something in the home, like, that was taken from one of the other home burglaries. Ooh. Or, like, how would they be, con- if there's no signature cut in the screen. How are they connecting ha- them? Yeah. There has to be something that's connecting the two. Because they're two different crimes. Hmm. So to me, there's there's something that they're leaving out, and that's interesting. And I think that's probably that's makes sense to me. What mm-hmm. you're saying. One detective even told the Daily Journal in 2016, "quote We have strong reason to follow the burglary angle." End quote. Hmm. But they've never said what that reason is. A final theory is that while we don't know who committed the murders, that it would have to be someone who knew China or Sean, someone who wanted to make them suffer. Because why else would the deaths have been so violent and so personal? And why was Blake the one with the most severe injuries? Yeah, that part, both their deaths are very tragic. But, and even like... um in like the crystal rogers case if you watched that like Mm -hmm. one of two of the murders right as a daughter and a mom and the daughter suffered the majority of the like the most cruelty happened to the daughter Mm -hmm. so similar to this case and i always like that always bothers me because they're children Mm -hmm. and like it that doesn't make sense to me why the right. majority of the violence would go out toward a child versus right. an adult. Like, what did the child do to you? Exactly. And, like, especially if the person who committed the crime were a stranger. Right. That makes it even harder to fathom greater violence to a child. 
So yeah. that's why a lot of people are like, no, it has to be somebody who like wants to get revenge. And they know by like making Blake suffer, it would make the parents suffer. Mm-hmm. But I do want to add here that there are those who believe that it was a, a burglar and they try to give an explanation as to the personal nature of the attacks. So here's what they argue. Here's why they argue it could still be a burglar. They argue that the attack was violent, not because the perpetrator or perpetrators knew or had anything against the Dickus family, but was violent because of the mental and emotional state of the perpetrator or perpetrators. Which to me is almost even more scary. It is. Yeah. Because... It does, for those who believe the burglar theory, say something about the perpetrator that he or she would often take the time to eat food from the fridge instead of, like, breaking in, getting what you want, immediately leaving. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so there's something different about that kind of perpetrator. So they think that because of that detail of eating the food out of the fridge, not leaving immediately, that along with the oddity of the items taken, that it indicates one of two things. Either, and these are theories according to the Daily Journal article that was published on July 22nd, 2016. Either they were young, or according to Detective Borges, they had a, quote, diminished mental capacity, end quote. So they're like... it could be both. Or both, yeah. So, like, could the age and or the mental state also explain the brutality that was enacted against Blake as well? And that makes sense, though. Like, if somebody young or something like that, right. like, I feel like if they're knocking on your door, you're not viewing them as a threat as much mm-hmm. as, like, like a, a big, up. girly adult. Yeah. Yeah. In an article by news station WTHR, a staff member wrote that some of the evidence was sent to be retested since there had been so many advances in DNA testing. But that article, Maggie, was from 2018. And as of, well, September 2021, either those tests didn't produce any new results or those results haven't been sent back yet. Well, I'm hoping that we just haven't got the results back yet and it's going to be like groundbreaking. I know. All of this time and this waiting has taken its toll on Christina, who talked to WTHR Channel 13 about like this paradoxical feeling of being stuck in this daily battle that she has to face, like where she's forced to continue moving in life, yet she doesn't want to let go of the past and her memories with her sweet little boy. And in that interview, she said, quote, there are times it feel like it's been an eternity and other times it feels frozen, end quote. So, Maggie, we heard three theories, Mm -hmm. construction worker, burglar, somebody who was trying to get back at the Dickus family. What do you think is the most likely theory? I'm really feeling like 
maybe a burglary gone wrong. Like they tried to come in. I don't know. But that then there's no there's no forced entry. So again, I don't know. I do feel like the burglary theory, especially mm-hmm. because the police feel so strongly about it. Yeah. I'm going to go with that one because I feel like there has to be some evidence that we just don't know about. Yeah, because I feel like the police, if it wasn't that, wouldn't keep bringing it up. And, and they, they bring it up on. every time. Yeah. So we're going to go with the burglar. Okay. And Sleuth Hounds, you let us know what you think. Inmates in Indiana can sit in their cells or common areas playing cards. Cards that have pictures of victims on them, just in case the names and faces have been described or mentioned in secret jailhouse confessions. There are cards with China Dickus's face on them. But Blake's mom, Christina, since 2006, has been playing a different game, the what-if game. What if she hadn't let Blake stay for lunch? Might that have saved them both? What if her son was calling out for her in his final moments? What if he had gotten the opportunity to live? Christina said in an interview with Daily Motion, quote, I just wonder how he would be if he, you know, college, starting a family, who knows? I don't have any more memories or anything to talk about. They were all taken away, end quote. Despite the fact that many tips came in initially about the case, those tips have slowed to a trickle in recent years. But 2006 wasn't that long ago. There are still people who know something they haven't shared with police. Maybe you know of someone from the Franklin, Indiana or Indianapolis area who were around the town in July of 2006. Perhaps they even attended the Johnson County Fair. Or did you live near the Aberdeen neighborhood and have your house broken into or something stolen? Perhaps something so small and insignificant that you didn't report it. Please report it now, especially if you lived in or around the following areas. Brannigan Woods. Oakleaf Manor, Cumberland Commons, and Deer Trace. For all you know, that small item could have been left in this crime scene and be the very piece of evidence police need to link the two crimes officially. Or maybe you saw someone unfamiliar in the neighborhood walking around the houses or cars during the day. You could know someone whose behavior seems to change around the anniversary of China and Blake's deaths. Law enforcement at least believes there's enough of a connection to bring up the burglaries whenever they mention the case. They believe this case is a local one. Someone either from the area or who spent extensive time there. Here we are 15 years after China and Blake's senseless murders, and we still do not have answers. Maybe that's because you haven't called in yet. 
there's still a $25,000 reward for tips that lead to an arrest and a conviction in this case. If you have any information concerning this case or the burglaries in the area, please call the Franklin Police Department at 317-346-6336. Or you can also remain anonymous by calling 317-346-1100. Again, please like and join us on our Facebook page, Coffee and Cases Podcast, to continue the conversation and to see images related to this episode. As always, follow us on Instagram at Coffee Cases Podcast and on TikTok at Coffee and Cases Podcast. Or you can always email us suggestions to coffeeandcasespodcast at gmail.com. Please tell your friends about our podcast so that more people can be reached to possibly help bring some closure to these families. Don't forget to rate our show and leave us a comment as well. We hope to hear from you soon. Stay together. Stay safe. We'll We'll see see you you next week. week.